Which vampire or pseudo vampire? You better are you, know. Are you talking? Well, no, I don't know which one he's trying to. The count. If you didn't, you had no childhood. The no, count. I know the count, but it didn't really sound too much like the count. He's a little bit deeper. Well, and I'm he counts not, not, a lot. Not a secret to the podcast audience that I'm terrible at impressions. One. Yeah, but two, see, he, he gets away with it. Three. Here, really, all you need is three that line. podcasters. Ah 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 ah. It's true. Satirical now Dracula seems are, are, are that that exact voice. That's fair. The word whole oh, genre unto yeah, itself. I clearly, I satirical I, Dracula scenes. I, I believe though that the voice actor of the Count passed away last year though. Which which the count? voice actor of oh, the really? Count? I count von so. Count. Oh. I think they, they recast him, but I think... You had to ask okay, which so count. Okay, I'm not up on current Sesame Street, you know, yeah. seeing as we're, you know, in the 30 range. 30 <laughs> It's ish. timeless. It's <laughs> You'll have kids eventually. That's true. That's true. Then we go back, and then we, we dive back in and then complain, as old men do. Yeah, well, especially... I'm ready for it. Yeah, well, you've been, you, you've been no, ready no. to be an old man I've for 10 years. Ready. Yes. No, Elmo is overblown, and Snuffleupagus is gone, so... Uh, That's Sesame true, but yeah, I'm, out, I'm really out with that. There's got to be something new. Yeah. Uh, but the Muppets sometimes show up on Sesame Street now. They did, but the they were always they're Muppets. Yeah, they're still Muppets. Dude, That's Caribbean true. amphibian. Oh yeah, yeah, one of my favorites. But a classic. Super Grover, so he's yeah. my favorite. Captain Super. Vegetable, I yeah. liked him too. Captain Vegetable. I'm really displeased they took off Telly. Do they really? They took yeah. Telly has not been there for a long time, yeah. and Telly, Telly is like the emotional soul of Sesame Street. Which one's Telly? He was the red monster who was really neurotic. Yeah. Uh, okay. He well, was already, he was essentially what's his name's little brother. Snuffleupagus's little brother, sort of. Really? So they looked similar, didn't they? Wait, what? No, you're oh, you're the big elephant looked like the little red guy. Oh, you're thinking about the little red guy. I thought you meant um the little elephant guy. I forget what his name was. No, no, was he female. was just a monster. He was one just, number yeah, one. It was female, the little one. Yeah, not male. No, Telly she is had male. A, I'm yeah, talking we're not about talking about Telly. I'm talking about Snuffleupagus's little like sister or something like that. She had a. This is actually. Oh, now I know. Remember who you were talking about? This is actually relevant. Um. Um, Bert of Bert and Ernie were, um, was in a viral video with um, Zachary Levi a little musical thing about spring and getting off your computers that was produced by um, one of the major online video websites I can't remember which College Humor or something like that and it was cute it was a little musical number with Bert and, and Zachary Levi which was cool I, I credit you making that a segue really Bert? yeah I would feel Ernie is probably more appropriate well, no, for college humor. Well, yeah, but who's more of a curmudgeon who would have to get dragged off their computer? Computer. How can you have just Ernie? You need the straight man. And Bert mm. is the perfect straight man. Yeah, okay, That's I'll true. give you that. I'll give you that. Yes. Well, the, the funny thing about it is the bit starts with him browsing a fake Facebook, and then Zachary Levi, he sees a picture of Zachary Levi on a bench, and then he continues, he's like, Zach? And then another photo pops up, and it's him doing a th- Zachary Levi doing his thumbs up, That's as cool. if you could hear him. It's cute. Um, speaking of musicals, a further segue. Um, I did the 24-hour musicals again this year. It's a lot of fun. Um, some great musicals to come out of it. A shout-out to Jonathan Mark Sherman, a playwright who we have yet to have on the podcast, who keeps asking me when we're going to have him on, so I have to make that happen. 
who's a sweetheart who I he confided in about all of the wedding stress I've been going through. Um, he wrote my favorite musical of the night, which starred three actors and an actress. Um, one playing the actress playing like the tour manager of this cowboy trio, and then the other three gentlemen playing the cowboy trio of a Christian cowboy group who decide the manager decides they should go Jewish, and <laughs> it it gets very silly and funny as a business thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. That may be, I don't know, it may be an untapped market. I just, I don't well, that's, know. Well, that was the whole thing in the, the bit, was it was an untapped market in the play. Uh, musical, rather. Um, Titus Burgess was in it, who is, of course, well-known for uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, he was a lot of fun to, to work with and to get to meet. It had a, There was a great cast. Again, I'm blanking on names now, so I'm not going to drag it out by trying to remember. But it was a lot of fun. I had a good time, and it's always for a great cause. Well, as always, these are those kind of... Had, had to be there sort of events. Yeah. But, you know, definitely, if you can have the opportunity at some point in the future, plan ahead, get to know someone, and then be that person who, you know, can say, had to be there. Right. And, um, of course, it's always for a good cause, which is why the tickets are so expensive, but it, it goes to raise money for the arts, and so it's important that they stay at that price. But it's a lot of fun. And um, this year there was also a contest winner from the documentary about the musicals, who entered and won and was flown out. Her voice was gorgeous. She was a natural. Now everyone's trying to convince her to move from Georgia to New York so they can do something with her. That's a big step. Yeah. But, I've uh, seen many romantic comedies about that step. <laughs> I've heard about from girlfriends and ex-girlfriends about romantic comedies about that big step because I would never watch that on my own. So let's move on. <laughs> this week's I have one more thing to say about the 24-hour plays. It's also a really good exercise for all the artists involved. Like oh, It's absolutely. good to just further you as an artist. If you ever get an opportunity, anybody in the local New York area to be a part of that, go for it. Yeah. it's it's The, the interesting about it is you, it's wonderful what you can do under pressure. And there's some people who are so good at it, they've kind of mastered the process and just keep coming back for more. And there are others who come once and then never do it again because it's not right for them. It strikes me as the principle of, like, it's finals night and everything is due tomorrow. So you catch up on everything this entire semester that night. And there's some people who can do that and there are some people who can't. If you, in the past, have proved that you can do that, then 24-hour plays may be the thing for you. Um, of course, the next show I'll be working with is 24-hour plays in November and on Broadway. So more about that when we get closer to that. This week's album, my choice. It is Death Cab for Cutie's newest record, Kit Kintsugi, which is Japanese for golden joinery, which is actually a term used in pottery making and pottery repair. It's um, a type of artwork where pottery being broken is put back together using different colored like grout type material and things like that in order to be a more artistic expression of said pottery. Oh, the metaphor is getting thick already. So uh, We're just at the title. We well, are just at the title. If you, if you want to ignore it and not go on Wikipedia like I did to learn all about this stuff, it's... <laughs> and I didn't know what it was called, but I didn't know about this before. Going to, like, Museum of Natural History and things like that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we all had that pottery experience, which was, I know, the greatest part of social studies, right? Uh, moving on, <laughs> the band, of course, is Ben Gibbard on vocals, guitar, and piano, Nick Harmer on bass, guitar, and backing vocals, and then Jason McGurr on drums and other percussion. Um, so this album comes quite a few years after the first album that I really got into them by, um, which was Transatlanticism, which was in 2003. I was introduced, by, introduced to it by former... Um, writers for the show and fans of the show, Mary Bradley and Liz Putz, 
And um, they really kind of forced that album on me. I wasn't listening to a lot of indie at all at the time. I think that album was probably forced on everybody by anyone who was really, really into Death Cab. And as it certainly was widely hailed as one of their best and one of the best at the time. Um, if I don't know, I'm not sure if it won any awards, but I'm not sure you know, either. I think it won awards in people's hearts. <laughs> I think that's really that, that album's legacy. But the uh, the band is itself is has been around since 1997, I believe. Yeah, their uh, first record was in 1998, something about airplanes. Yeah, and they formed in Washington State. And so Transatlanticism was the last album I actively listened to a lot. Um, I've heard Plans, Narrow Stairs, and Codes and Keys, which are the other three following records, in 2005, 2008, and 2011, respectively. Um, but I had not listened to them as intensely as I'd listened to Transatlanticism, which I still listen to. That said, I had heard about Kintsugi and was very excited because overall I've always enjoyed Ben Gimrud's voice it's very beautiful and i like the kind of music that they've made um and i heard the single black sun and kind of got really excited i try not to listen to albums in advance before bringing them on the show but sometimes i'll check out the single just to get an idea speaking to that also on a slight side note i've listened to all three singles from the new blur album and i cannot wait to review that album i'm breaking my own rule for that one because it's gonna be awesome anyway bias anyway so kintsugi which is the newest record um we start with the first track, which is No Room in Frame. Um, well, as far as like their overall sound is concerned, just before we dive in here, I mm. think a lot of times it was placed in a kind of sort of fringe alt, sort yeah. of, but like, you know, in a more in a more uh, accessible kind of way. And I, I heard that pretty much right up front here. It begins with a sort of pleasant white noise, these very like open intervals. So, you know, it's very satisfying, but it's not clean necessary it's a distortion that it starts with yeah um and there's like these little whirring sounds that step in more like static than anything else uh but the pattern is on a loop beside this other sound which is more of the real warm synth sound that really provides the, the whole major feel of this opening track which kind of remains throughout um and that goes for about maybe 20 seconds just on that uh that white noise sound before these pulses uh these pulses kind of usher in the verse and I noticed that these pulses actually kind of remind me of, you know, that speaking clock in, uh, in, in Great Britain, where they have the speaking clock where you could actually call on the telephone as early as the 1930s, and you could get the time, which is how you would actually set your clock before you had all these connections like the internet, you know, and such. Uh, and it would go, at the first stroke, the time will be 10, 3, and 30 seconds. Beep, beep, <laughs> beep. And that's exactly what I heard here, and that kind of ushered in the verse. Okay. No, yeah, it's just a reference for no apparent reason. Anyway, the first verse here, obviously, the second we hear Ben Gibbard singing, it brings back certain, for anyone who has Death Cab experience, it brings back all the things that you might have loved about his voice and all the things that you might have not. I consider Ben Gibbard to be very analogous to you, to, to Colin Malloy in this way. The way we talked about that back in the December episode, episode 104, is that Colin Malloy is... 104? 134. Did I, <laughs> did I say 104? You did say 104. 134. Well, it's that he had that voice that was kind of like love it or hate it. You know, there was that quiver that he has at the end of every single phrase that sometimes is a little bit deterring. You know, some people put it on and it's just like, ah, I just can't get past the voice. Love what they're doing. Love what the band represents. Love the whole style. But, you know, that voice hits and sometimes it's just, it's bound to be that human factor that is make or break. And Ben Gibbard, I think, is somewhat similar but for a different reason. Instead of the quiver at the end with him, it's really more of a whine that I feel. Almost feels borrowed from, like, 
you know, emo bands of like the early 2000s. And it, it's, a, it's a sad analogy because I really do believe that the music here is superior to almost any of those bands, but I sometimes hear it in his voice. And it left me as, uh, as an early listener of Death Cab, probably around the same time as you, it, I was kind of on the fringe with it. Wasn't sure whether it was my thing, despite the fact that I really love the music. Yeah, at that time I was very melancholy, so I kind of dove right in with it. It kind of pulled me into exactly what I was looking for well, for the time. Everybody takes melancholy in different places. That's true. In this case, when he steps in with his vocal work, it comes across, because of the light setting that is already being built, as very confident for me. And this, these confident vocals really do get across, while not the most stellar lyrics, but a, a definite emotional uh, center for this track itself. Well, it gives off a warmth. The whole track kind of gives off a warmth, and the, lyri the lyrics and the vocals really add to that. And this warmth is also still, it still has an edge of just loneliness associated mm -hmm. with it. This is, this is his voice. When they start bringing in touchy guitar work, where it's just doing slight accenting, accenting the uh, simple drum work, not very complicated as far as the percussion is concerned, but it's steady and it's non-invasive, it works great to really lift that voice to a next level for me. Sometimes it almost feels like a drum box, though. And you have to pay attention to the chronology here. It's like, first you get the drums, and then on top of that you get his vocals, and then on top of that you get those guitar moments uh, that you mentioned, those little, like, accents just interspersed, still very, very pleasant, kind of filling out this sort of overall E major sound. And... Yeah, no, I was I was definitely digging it, and I was looking past that that uh, that whininess that is, as I hear it, you know, it's it's not really that much of a problem to me at this point. It was maybe a problem to me back then, but that was coming off the, you know, the the edge of that that time when that sound and that singing style just seemed to be everywhere. But you know, it's been a few years now, and really Ben Gibbard Ben Gibbard is is widely hailed as being fairly unique among vocalists in his in his conveyance, I think, of a, a very simple emotion, and such that the lyrics are actually very much promoted. He sings with such such eloquence and such uh, a distinction, you know, that almost every word is heard. You know, there's there's very little clouding there. And while some might argue that it's not it's not terribly inventive from a melodic standpoint, he keeps everything kind of, you know, at bay, status quo, not really stretching himself in the range department, at least for the kind of single atmosphere that this opening track gives off, it's, uh, it, it's fitting, frankly. You know, all you really want is the, the basics out of this. The warmth is a perfect way to start off a Death Cab album, especially for non-Death Cab fans. And this song even further builds with uh, piano flourishes, with other tonal flourishes. The whole song does really seem to culminate but it culminates a little bit too early for me. It it plateaus a little bit towards the end. But this plateau is a good spot. It's it keeps it very warm and very enjoyable in a in a very down key kind of way. And I like how the once the song really reaches this climax or anticlimax in some ways, it stays there and lets it just trail out into the next song. Well, frankly, I think there are moments at this plateau that you're talking about, I think it really does hit little heights within that. I don't think it's just like it reaches a thing and then it's it's stable. In fact, I found that this track was was more the kind of track that has stickability. Like, it stays with you perhaps more than many other tracks in this album. And this is not even the single. The, the, the next track is the single. But this is the one where the melody actually did stick with me, kind of breaking those rules that I claimed about some other uh, 
some other examples of Death Cab or some other examples of his vocals. He does have those moments where he really, really plays with it. For instance, in the chorus, has that, as we said, very unifying, familiar sound, but the melody is so sweet and also slow. For instance, when he says, when the cameras turn to face you, you know, it's almost so cutesy. And while I do admit that this kind of like reeks, reeks of that single atmosphere, you don't feel like you're wasting your time with it. I, I mean, one might say these sound like really, really reserved compliments, but it's really much how I defend, say, the band Keen, for instance. As a group, they're pop, but I think it's a real challenge to, to work your way into the mainstream while keeping your dignity. And this, as an opening track, is a really, really good example of that for Death Cab, considering they do have that tendency to get so melancholy. Why not just, you know, for, rest, for the rest of the fans, you know, usher them in slowly with that? Yeah, and I mean, the lyrics really support everything John was saying, too. I mean, I like the, I think it's the second verse. Um, you cannot outrun a ghost, speeding southbound lanes with abandon. It catches you on the coast, or on the cliffs of the Palisades, you killed the engine. I mean, maybe he's always been a good songwriter. Yeah. First of all, I mean, as far as, excuse me, lyricist. He's always been a great lyricist. Uh, I mentioned, of course, not only his vocals kind of highlight the words themselves, but the words themselves really need to be highlighted. I mean, that's there's a... He's poetic. He's very poetic. blatant similarity toward uh, Colin Malloy in that sense. Not necessarily in subject matter, but in their their ability to kind of grip you. In, in Ben Gibbard's sense, it always seemed to be a more accessible uh, emotion that you can kind of put your own... Theme? Perhaps, or just your own lifestyle with. It's the kind of thing that molds itself to you with whatever you're going through at that moment. Well, that's what his lyrics will somehow wash over to you. It... it, it it's very personal at the same time, you know, in, in his eyes, sure. obviously, but, but it, it reaches out in a big way. One other thing, uh, the instrumental here, I think is another one of those moments, off of lyrics now, another one of those moments where this track hits a little bit of a height that yeah. sort of breaks the plateau a little bit. And these instrumentals almost throughout this album tend to be pretty spectacular. They're not filler they're not throwaway. When they happen, they actually serve to to push the song along and kind of break the pop structure, it seems. Um, in this case, my only problem was that I the retransition back into the chorus was kind of predictable. Like I wanted them to stay in the instrumental because the guitar seems so expansive here, and it started to really, you know, play with that warmth and it's just kind of like take it down a notch play around with it. it looks like it was looking for different emotions right up front because we keep saying oh it is warmth it is warmth you know well that's a little bit predictable just as a as an overlier for this whole track but you still want expansion you still want complexity to your emotion sure and then i mean the way the song ends it kind of just falls out which i mean was done well for the way the track was building for it to all just kind of fall out and end fit the structure of the song very well it falls out it ends on a nice uh f sharp major chord and this this it was absolutely beautiful. It, actually, a little bit foreshadowing. Considering, you know, we keep saying that the whole track has this warmth to it, I like the fact that at the moment that it ends, it decides to just kind of, like, drop that inevitability. The, the stuff that you're going to get for perhaps the majority of the album, and it links up with the majority of Death Cab's work, the more melancholy edge. And you get that right on the final chord here. And it takes us right into the single for the, the first single from the album, track two, Black Sun. Which is the song that I heard that made me really want to hear the record. Mm. This was a, a interesting combination for me because while I, I do enjoy this single, it's probably the second or third favorite song on the album, I love it for a different reason each time I listen to it. 
one of the main things you're getting in this song is a very muted percussion line that seems fairly simple because uh, you don't really have to pay attention to it. This, coupled with the steady guitar work that he brings into it, and the preferable vocals, not the good vocals, not the great vocals, but the preferable vocals for what's being said, comes together as a very contemplative song. Well, it's all drums and guitar in the very beginning. Before we get to the vocals, I mean, it's built mostly off this underlying riff is built off the alterations of the guitar just between these, like, two notes. And then along with that, you get this little phasing sound present, which is, is pretty interesting. That, again, pretty much maintains for the duration of the track. Also, another element, the keyboard steps in, and it's like this 60s Mellotron sound almost. Um, and then alongside that, one other element. Really strong bass. Very, very, like, soft. It's just in the background, but it's a pretty good underlying rumble for this track. Uh, and I think it's a pretty good bass line. It's clearly not the focus, but it shows that, like, there's a lot of elements in play here. You get a pretty well-rounded sound from all angles. And the, the whole song being muted the way John was describing it gives it a kind of introverted feel. Like, this is the emotional place where we expect Def Cab to live. This song was very much... As we were hinted at. The, the, the sound that... that you typically think of when you think of Death Cab, and they convey it from the start and, and build on what you could say, quote-unquote, is their formula. Well, now let's go to the melody, because this is something where I think is... It's an interesting factor, because I think it actually breaks the rule from the previous track. Um, excuse me, not the rule. The previous track probably was the exception to the rule. I mean, I think his vocals have... A, while as beautiful as they may be, I think his melodies have a tendency more to plateau in this album than others. And I heard it here in this track. Granted, of course, it's a very beautiful track as a whole, and I understand that artistically he has this intention to kind of keep them a little bit in the backseat and glide along with the lyrics. That's nice, but sometimes I feel it's just a little too reserved. It feels almost as if it's just spoken word, like he's not making it terribly musical to me. It's a backseat position, which seems seems counterintuitive for this kind of track, especially an introverted one. And this is where I would I, I want to reiterate my preferable vocals. Because I like that contemplative, that almost indecisive nature he's got to his voice. That he doesn't want a grandstand or anything like that. This is, like Matt said, a very introverted track. This is questioning a lot of the things that were going on in someone's head in relationship to another person. Well, yeah, let me clarify. I realize there's a contradiction in what I just said. I mean, if you're taking an introverted position, then by definition, that is fairly backseat. You're taking an introvert, you're taking a backseat position to life, as it were. But I don't know. There's something about this melody that just seems a little bit too safe. Like, I feel like there's more emotion to be had out of this. And that's where I'm going to say the lyrics really shine. It's what he's saying and the fact that he's almost tentative in saying it, that really gets the point across, that gets the message across. It's using the same uh, argument that I described basically in the first track, in yeah. that, which applies really more here than it does there. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the, in the whole album, uh, the next to last section, the last verse, there's whiskey in the water and there's death upon the vine and there is grace within forgiveness, but it's so hard for me to find. And I love the chorus, too, because it's just very simply, how could something so fair be so cruel when this black sun revolved around you? But it's not just that. It's how he's saying it mm -hmm. and the music that's going along with it. Yes. 
most everything cuts away except percussion and some tonal work in the background? Or was that the bass like really muted? Um, in which in which part? In the chorus. In the chorus. In the chorus um, it was kind of a syncopation between the synth, and I think the synth was fairly low, and it gives it it, it provided this like '80s sound effect, you know. And I feel like this is going to crop up later in the album as well, but this is the first moment I heard it. And yes, it does have kind of this like funky strut to it almost. It feels like it's created with an echo effect, where the the synth steps in, and then it has this this uh, reverberating echo that follows it. And it was very well-timed with the existing rhythm itself. I really, really liked the chorus. But the pacing he puts along with this, the how could something so fair be so cruel? Just the pausing, the almost intake of breath just to get the next words out, really hammers home such a simple idea in a simple chorus it's, it's Surrounded by simple convey- music, it's a great combination of real simple ideas coming together to do something, for me, that's very powerful. It conveys this kind of hesitance that the song absolutely has, and he's doing it vocally. And I truly enjoy when uh, lyricists especially do something like that. I mean, it goes back to some of my favorite lyricists, like um, Justin Furstenfeld of Blue October. It's always in how they sing that you really get a sense of the emotion. It's also really furthered, I think, uh, the feel of it is furthered in the second verse, where, you know, after we play out just as if we did the first time, this time it goes a little longer. It feels like we extend into a kind of bridge, this time with these, like, broken chords in the background on this very bright guitar. I really, really enjoyed that. So uh, there's also, you know, this lack of predictability in this track. Granted, of course, it's pop. It's, it's, it's pop pretty much any way you slice it. But at the same time, you know, it furthers it in, in almost every single opportunity. Instrumental, just as in the is in the last track, pretty solid. Um, although it, it, it in this case, it's because it really bends the capabilities um, texturally. This steps forward with this like distorted sound here, which is a pretty harsh break from the smooth sound that we've had so far. But I kind of like that it is. In most yeah. instances on this album, I like when it takes those harsh shifts because. They break the plateau, as well, John earlier mentioned. And for me, as someone who both likes lighter music and heavier music, I always love when lighter music dabbles with some heavier sounds. Right. It adds an impact to it without just being Linkin Parkified and being like, we're, we're passionate, we're passionate, but we're also sensitive. It's actually a melding of that sensitivity and aggression together. And it's about back-to-back contrast. Yeah. In this case, we go from that really bright guitar sound right into this really heavy distorted sound. But that distorted sound kind of flip-flops for me. Sometimes I'm completely on board with what you two just said, but at other times, I kind of wish it was a little bit more integrated. Maybe a note here or there, just to preview it, because it can be a little bit, not really jarring, just oddball for me to, to, to go right into something that contextually is very harsh. Well, it does bring to mind the fact that some of these sections do seem a little bit a little bit too spliced. Um, not to say that I don't necessarily like them back to back, but you know, they they it it feels like they weren't written in the same session. You know, it feels like the transitions weren't really as thought through as I've heard in a lot of other examples we've listened to where we've heard great transitions. Here, it's really just clean breaks. I'm not getting that sense of transition in the same way. Yeah, if you like the, the clean break, that's great. But, you know, it's it's, a, it's an easier tool. I feel like the clean breaks, though, could be intentional. It's not too hard to believe that no, no, wanting sure that, that jarring kind of clean break feel, especially with the harsher tones, makes sense for the construction of the song, whether it works for you or not. It's just a little less crafty to me. Yeah, I hear that. That makes sense. Um, but 
I don't know. I the, my main problem, I think, really isn't that. That's a kind of a, a tertiary thing. My main problem really comes down to the melody here. I I I wish I could feel you with the, with this track, but it just the it's he's not doing what I feel like he should be doing as as my previous experience with death uh, with Ben Gibbard has been in in Death Cab. Like I I love these lyrics. They're beautiful, but it's not coming through because I think. I think they would only come through had there been that, like, that same moment, for instance, that I heard in the first track, where you really just can't turn away from when the cameras turn to face you, and that sort of rocking, swaying back and forth. We had that in the first track, I don't really have that, like, line stepping through here. Everything is slow, it's deliberate, sure, but, I don't know, it's not reaching out to me in a way, and this becomes kind of a recurring problem. Everything is just so reserved, it becomes more tone than, uh than a central vocalization of that emotion. It's all, it's more atmosphere than anything. All right. I mean, I sure. I can see it. <laughs> um, I, I don't quite agree, though. I'm more in John's boat with this track. I really think it, it, it really delivers something that I was looking for from Death Cab, especially since the, even though it's more pop, they're a band who had a song on a Twilight soundtrack. Like, they're pop. They're popular. And they're pop. So, yeah. like, it, it, they're of that vein. They're just better at it than a lot of other bands. So it's not really an insult at this juncture to say they are. No, and the, and the music more than makes up for it, I think, in this yeah. track. Um, but, you know, I do see these examples coming up later in the album, and I'll cite them as we go. So it, it sort of stuck in my mind after a while. Let's look at track three, The Ghosts of Beverly Drive. Uh, this begins with a kind of like airy almost futuristic backdrop and it, it lasts for quite a while it's just this this sort of reverb heavy drone lots of mist and then all of a sudden out of nowhere everything just becomes a lot cleaner yeah it almost just, instantly on, a, on dime. a dime again with these harsh transitions um maybe harsh is the wrong word because we're sudden. dealing with pretty light things but yeah sudden uh, almost to the point where it made the intro seem a little pointless. It just didn't seem to fit the rest of the track, especially once it comes in with very repetitive and, uh, drum and guitar work, something you would hear like on any 90s band performing. And particularly the guitar that really yeah. bothers me here. It feels pretty lackluster. It's just a lot of repeating A over and over. You know, it, it, it was nothing else really standing out amidst it. Uh, once we step in with the melody... I think it sounded more outgoing. It solved some of the problems that I had in the previous track to me, but that may have only been in contrast. Like, it may have only stood out with respect to everything else being so thin. And I only really felt that this song stood out during its choruses. In the beginning, it just didn't, it kind of felt very blah, especially once his voice comes in. The way he's singing on this track is the most even singing he's done so far, which is the big complaint that you guys had been having. And I that's... thought it was actually more standout-ish at that moment. No, I think it's, it's just... I don't feel like he really wants to deviate too much from a very specific range. Now, he doesn't have the widest range in the world and his voice well you can easily recognize it because it does tend to sound the same from song to song to song to song but in this case it, the singing comes off very passive for me not introspective not contemplated just pure passivity as if he doesn't really have too much of a vested interest in it it it's no no real stretching and no real death cab identity involved in the singing going on here and I think that's partially also because it really is a form song, a very much a structured song. I mean, in terms of comparison here, just between like the last track and this one, I think it's maybe splitting hairs to... to uh, clearly, we're coming at this from uh, 
from opposite angles. But then again, you know, that's actually why we do this. Um, that minor little variation may be your, your make or break for this album, or it's just going to push you toward different sections, different favorites. Uh, my problem is more with the other things. Like, in this case, it's more of a, another sectional issue. We do step in with a chorus. Actually, I'm going to call it a hook, because there's a yeah. moment between the two uh, verses here where we actually have this hook that's just like, there's no vocalization at all. Excuse me, actually, it's just vocalization if you see that ooing in the background as vocalization. Um, not much else. No lyrics here. Instead, it's just it bringing back the whole open, you know, reverb, the all the airiness. That's sort of like chimey synth work in the background but there's not much else that's really it and then all of a sudden it returns back to the verse on a dime just as we did from the intro into the first verse um it's just this is a very verse chorus song that doesn't vary enough from verse to verse or chorus to chorus but at the same time that's not really the chorus i see that as more of a hook we don't really have a chorus there there's, oh, right. no, there's no then hook it's very yeah. verse hook verse hook the point is is that these the parts are the same to the other parts. They don't really change it up from, from section to section. Um, you know, we get a little bit of we a chorus a... instrumentally in the chorus, but it, it, it's a little brighter, but it doesn't really do anything. Like, I don't get a feeling of it other than, ah, uh, It's the same sectional problem. Yeah. It's just like you're being thrown here, then you're being thrown there. I'm not, again, everything is too smooth with, with Death Cab for you to really call anything harsh. I think that's sure. just an Ill, Ill word choice on my part. But I think, I think that there's a little bit of an identity issue um, just in the beginning here, but then we do play around with it by moving into what I would call the more proper chorus, which does have, you know, straight-up melody in this case, um, and a, a similar transition. But this is like all these little, you know, sound effects, lots of production within this, but yeah, really none of the meat. That's my problem. Well, there's sort of a wet blanket being thrown on here. It's, it's everything seems to be at a very steady level. Not necessarily a plateau, just no attempt to rise or fall too dramatically here. No attempt to really put any punctuation on any specific part of the song. And if we're not going to get highs and lows, if we're not going to get punctuation, it's hard to really see an emotional or uh, setting connection going on here. It ends up being very much the ambient side, very much just a... A vague feeling going on yeah. and a vague feeling is hard to be powerful I mean the lyrics also don't really do a ton for it I mean um, the hook as it were I don't know why I don't know why I return to these scenes that's the chorus Bucks. <laughs> the, oh that is the chorus yeah. I don't know why I don't know why I return to the scenes of these crimes where the hedgerows slowly wind I just like I like the kind of imagery that these lyrics are setting up Always but, great lyrics. Always right, great lyrics. Right. Always paints that. But, but the problem with these lyrics is they're very kind of suburban, very plain, very. <laughs> it's setting a very I have kind a feeling, of feeling though. That suburban is exactly scene. exactly his demographic. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, actually, when I think back to all the people in my life who've ever really, really fallen into uh, Death Cab, I think they've tended to be somewhere <laughs> in between. You know, in the suburbia, not quite rural, not quite. Um, urban, but it's it's played really really well for the band. Yeah, when you yeah, think yeah. About it. Well, and and I think it 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 sets this setting as it were very well to what the song is building. It's just because suburbia has this kind of boring, normal, everyday kind of cliche to it. The song gives that too, and it's why I think we've kind of we felt unimpressed with it overall. Yeah, I, I comes back to the same 
problem with me. There's, there's sectional issues here, actually here. If we're just moving to the end of this track, there's this transition, for instance, where we step out into a kind of uh, instrumental here. Not quite an instrumental, but it, I like the concept. It's, it's a drone, essentially. It just plays that very lightly in the background, which almost feels like the kind of drone that would occur if, you're, if your computer, like, froze up. And then all of a sudden, just like while playing the media file, that last chord or whatever it was left on just holds out steady. It's <laughs> kind of eerie, um, but he's still singing over it. So it's not really an instrumental. This is kind of, it's pretty much just a straight up bridge, as we'll call it. And then uh, he continues singing after the drone drops out, and then you're just left with the drums in, uh, in the background. Then it's back to, uh, to the chorus at the very, very end. I don't know why, I don't know why. Um, but it's like, nice moment. Always, whenever he steps out, of the structure there's a lot more potential for growth here but then he steps right back in there's again really no way no point in hiding it this is pop uh i want more that's pretty much all i have to say for it that's how it goes with pop all right from here we go to track four little wanderer um which might i say by the track name alone i really just picture a Mufford's and Sons song. I know it's not, but I'm just saying that's that's what the title tells me. Well, let's say what the music tells us. Uh, I was really kind of amazed at this point and how he sticks with that 80s sound. In this, this case, one, it's that 80s like new wave throwback. Yeah, it's like that airy 80s guitar that kind of feels like spacey almost. The yeah, cliche spacey. It's in the back. It's always tinny though. Very yes. very bright. Yeah. Um, and I'll you know what I'll admit that as of the beginning here, it felt. Frankly, a lot more natural than I guess other examples and that I've heard. You know where it's really shoehorned in. Um, there's a lot of space here. I really do love the guitar work. It's mm-hmm. frankly really, really nice. Even though I, I question why the throwback is always so necessary, and that's among all all, all artists to like. But then there's the, those melodies of his. I mean, this is the kind of thing where I've said this before. Like I know his shtick, and it's to sort of just glide along but in this case i think maybe both of you'll agree like it's it's pretty sparse and really slow even yeah. less experimentation here i'm sure it's intentional 100 percent. this is his goal is to kind of make this track as thin and slow as possible uh there's it it's just it feels like he's reading his lyrics to me and that's that's a really painful thing to say for you know such a very emotional guy as he is and it was very predictable. That was one of the worst parts of it. Um, no emotions going on here, and then you That's know exactly. That's no. There, there's no. emotion. It's a very sweet and endearing track. It's a track. very numb, numb track for uh, me. It's a very... It's, lyrically and musically, No, I'll go with numb. I will, I will say numb, but not so numb as to be completely devoid of emotion, but more the backseat position that I described early on. And I feel like numb... St- the void of emotion is emotion itself. It's it's a feeling. You feel numb. So Well it's Alright, let's look, let, let's, okay. let's take a break here and look what he's trying to get at. You sent a photo out out your window of Tokyo, told me you were doing fine. You said the cherry blossoms were blooming and that I was on your mind. But I couldn't make you out through the glitches. It's it's how it always seems to go. So we say our goodbyes over Messenger as the network overloads. When the network overloads. Very, very simple, and obviously he's referring to distance here, you know, the yeah. messenger overloads, okay, well, let's put in the little internet reference, but frankly, that that's about as cold as it gets, you know, well, they're not next to each other, there is no warmth here, so the numbing, alright, it, it's it's relevant here, in a certain sense, um, but right. the connection, the desired connection is established. And I don't feel that at all, I don't feel like he's really putting any investment into it, there's no... 
real music here that I feel like is supporting what he's saying. His vocals, I'll flat out say, are not supporting any sort of actual connection or attempt at a connection going on here. It feels a little phoned in. It's well, I really... have a theory here, but I hate this theory. I just want to sort of preface that. The chorus, as I see it, it's kind of empty. Um, it, it has all the problems that you're mentioning, John. It's what I've frequently referred to as um, department store pop. I hate saying that, I really do. And normally we do associate that with things that are fairly vapid. It's just there, it just kind of stays there while you're shopping, and it's not really supposed to, like, like move you away from shopping in any way because that's that's to do so would be against the the uh desires of the department store but in this particular case i might actually pause from shopping so it wouldn't be the greatest success uh for the department store but it would be a pretty good success for the artist then again that's only because of one thing this chorus kind of puts you in a daze like it just it keeps you in this in this sort of introverted loop where you just kind of like caught up in your head, but not in a terribly, like, you're really thinking things through. You're just kind of gliding along, as you would, for instance, in a department store. There's still thoughts that go through your head, but you're shopping alone. They're bound to occur, yet you still have errands to do in the meantime. The kind of the reasons why I think a lot of pop is used in this setting. Um, that may very well be a success, and this goes back to my theory, just because of this theme. Because if you're pondering someone who's, like, in a distant setting, and it far away from you, who's not there, then there's probably the most likely places in which they might be on your mind. Because if it's not in a department store, then it's not any time. If they're distant, then they're distant. Therefore, they're in your head the entire time. I believe that's the idea, but I, I just... It doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that I, don't, I feel very, very little from this. There's a lot of department store pop out there, and I think plenty of it serves to provide the same exact emotion. Hence... You know, it's kind of it's kind of accidental than anything else. Like, all right, it fell into the same exact pile. And I don't get even that much. I wouldn't even equate it to that much. The Honestly, the chorus is phoned in. It's nearly instantly forgettable for me. Right, but it's like, that's why I call it Department Store Pop, because it's it's basically but like you, anywhere, anywhere USA. These, you're are, hear these are thoughts. Playing. You're talking about thoughts that you get while shopping. These are the thoughts that you're immediately forgetting about. These are things that, honestly... I don't think are, so. Are, I don't think so at all, he's talking based on about, those lyrics. No, no. He, the lyrics are supposed to be longing. The, the lyrics are supposed to be, come back to me. I want you. With lines like, When our, our eyes meet past security, we embrace in the baggage claim. When we kiss in the baggage claim. Yeah, okay, sure. Except there's nothing invested in it. There's no, It's just unoffensive. That's all I can say about this track. No, I really I'm not really feeling anything for it, so I'm regarding it as just a neutral party, as something that is there and I can walk away from it and not care about all it right. anymore. Frankly, I feel this... a little bit more than you do in this particular instance, I'm getting... but it's not it's it, it's a light compliment and I'll grant you that. And this song, I mean, you can predict exactly what this song is going to do without listening to it. Once you get the first verse chorus, you know, well, then you're going to get another verse that's going to be the same tempo, same length, same exact music, going into a chorus that's going to be a double chorus, short little bridge, then another verse that harkens back to the first verse and then goes into a double chorus and fades out. I thought it was going to be a musical fade out. It ended up being a vocal fade out. It's nothing. Frankly, I think there is definitely 
emotion, vested emotion in the chorus itself. You're my wanderer, little wanderer. I like, I love the way he says that actually, off across the sea. You're my wanderer, little wanderer. Won't you wander back to me? He's, it's simple. But he's so it, but, deadpan. But it's not. It. He's, he's not nothing. that deadpan. He's actually, not that I think deadpan. the way in which he says little wanderer is it has quite a lot of emotion behind it. And also, it. it's not about longing. It's not. The, what this track is about is missing someone, which is not the same thing. It's a pleasant thought of missing someone. He's not in pain. He's in mild discomfort because he misses the one he loves. Right. But it's not, they've gone away forever, they've dumped me and moved away. This is, they're a little wanderer. They're an actress, a musician, a touring artist, and mm-hmm. they're out and they're coming back. It, this could be a song for, you know, just an actor or another musician. And that doesn't have to be full of passion and emotion which is why i make contemplative that's why i make the department store pop reference here because normally while i while i usually cite that as like a pretty bad thing in this case i think that's very appropriate you're 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 basically pondering that anybody who's who is not there with you you're pondering them while they're distant at basically any time and that could be at any time of day even when you're just shopping it's it's not going to grab me in the same way but it's that kind of artistic defense that i always hate using but it it's a success in its way that said though this track i mean there is a numbness to the fact that you don't that it's supposed to be kind of numb he's kind of thinking about this person but he's not acting in one way or another he's just until that very last verse that john read about making out on the baggage claim but up until that point, it's just kind of pleasant thoughts of someone, but nothing super wildly emotional one way or the other. I'll leave it at this. It's as I said, it's a total success, I think, but I felt it already. I think that's my main problem with it's it. It's been done. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the next track, track five, You've Haunted Me All My Life, is probably my favorite track on the record because it's one of those songs where when I try and sing along, my eyes well up with tears because I feel this song from the moment it starts. Beautiful solo guitar intro, not to be confused with a guitar solo intro, which is very different. <laughs> we have one single guitar playing. It's, um, a, it's a very like firm beginning. I yeah. love that that tone of the guitar has this kind of like somewhere out west sort of guitar the feel. The whole song kind of has that kind of a feel almost. Yeah, um, just had, owing to the, the crispness of the guitar itself. It's acoustic, um, that's a little bit of a difference here. Um, and then those drums start to slowly creep in the background. They have that that tribal feel. It, Rumbling, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a slow rumble, and that, that's that's great stuff as an introduction. Uh, in addition to that, you have this like keyboard stepping in with kind of a keyboard bass. It's uh, in the lower register there, and it still continues to just slowly build, uh, just between the drums and the synth. Love it. And then all of a sudden, we get this transition which I really, really didn't expect. In fact, they probably could have let that, that intro go for quite a, a longer time, but this transition into the chorus, because, uh, excuse me, all of that is really not just the intro, that comprises the, the verse as well, uh, same, same musical feel. And then we dive into the chorus by cutting out all of that, that openness. Instead, all of a sudden, now, everything is centered, and the acoustic is supplanted by the electric, the reverb is just cut completely, and the quality richens up, and then after this, we return to the verse with this like slow electric guitar uh, comping. It's it's really really tasteful. I thought that every instrument is just delicately one after the other here. There wasn't it, there wasn't so much of a cut except for that one moment, and that was more of a uh, again a texture cut than anything else. It was a a decisive moment where they richened the quality. It wasn't like a musical shift. And the whole effect does a great job of 
really separating the verse and chorus into the verse being a contemplative, trying to think a problem through. It it's it's really good to show an emotional connection to someone that, well, he he hasn't really said those words before. But the chorus really shows a level of self confidence without changing from the more timid individual we got in the verses that it becomes his proclamation not a very loud proclamation this is not a chest banger or something like that but this is the guy who's finally gotten the guts you haunted me all my life you haunted me all my life you are the mistress i can't make my wife and you've haunted me all my life just the way it has an almost ring out quality to it really does show that yeah it it's an every everyday kind of joe schmo kind of a person in the verses but he can still make a stand and still go after something go after the thing he wants well in a even way, a joe schmo has their passions and there's always like that one figure you know the person you could never have or whatever and and that's kind of what this is aiming at um so it, it there's actually a lot more impact here than the previous song you know it's 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 meant to make the the average Joe feel like they're they're like they are everything, like they're on top of the world and well, it's revolving around them in a way. Well, that impact is also coming from the fact that these these changes emotionally are very bittersweet. It's about this person that he could never make his wife, but oh, you know, this mistress he could never make his wife. This idea that it's someone that he might have cared for very strongly, more strongly than someone he would spend the rest of his life with, but still there was no future. There was no continuation, giving it that bittersweet tone, which was conveyed before the lyrics even started because of the, the, the sounds that Steve was describing, the instrumentation. And this instrumentation even builds later on in the song. They don't just return to form as they go from the chorus to the verse. That's something that I'm really enjoying in this case because it's light touches, it's light little additions here and there that aren't overbearing, but show that after that first chorus, that first proclamation, you know what, some of that some of that event is bleeding through into just his thoughts himself. There's a little more self-worth involved There's in this person There's a slow here. evolution. You and know that's really, I, I really, really enjoy that. I, I could probably see how someone might put this like in the same category as the previous track. But in this case, there feels to be like so much more relaxation in this track, uh, almost like a deliberation in the pacing. And that's what separates this from the others, you know, whereas the others, they feel predictable for all the reasons we mentioned, you know, there, something is lat like it might be slow, but it it's, it's, feels like it's not deliberate. It feels like it's just going along with the flow that it's set out from the start. In this case, every single moment seems seems planned that that's present in the build that's present in in the retransitions pretty much throughout i i think this is this is actually a case where the four minutes and seven seconds that this track was felt like it went really quickly for me because it was a successful zoning it was it was successful at zoning me out yeah it was all the things that you were talking about as positives that i didn't see in track four little wanderer i found here and i found them in much more clear cut and maybe not easy to digest but easy to see and to emote with again i thought that little wanderer is an artistic success based only on his concept of there being the far away figure but this is a lot more pivotal this is yeah. this is the yeah. love this is not just the distance um you know and again it's, it's a better avenue absolutely and it's a track that moves you and it moves you to feel something 
instead of just kind of singing about someone's feelings, you're feeling their feelings. Yeah. And I think that's the true strength of it. And from there we go to uh, track six, Hold No Guns, which I thought was a really, really great pairing on this album, back to back. We get more, more another guitar intro. This one's more in the indie vein, less kind of Oh, forget old indie. West. This is even more, like, stripped folk. This okay. is This is... This is actually a track that I felt was very underproduced, frankly. Like, there's barely maybe a pop filter on the microphone. Maybe. That's it. Like, I feel like there's very little compression here. Very little very little attempt to, to, to round off this track and make it sound like it's anything else but a guy on a guitar. Well, I you, appreciated that. You like to bring up when it sounds something sounds really close to the mic, and I yes. got that from this. The guitar yeah. sound, the guitar and the vocals sound like he's right up against that mic, sort mm-hmm. of like when we had Robert on as a guest, the way he performed. Oh, yeah. That kind of sound. Um, it was very close, and the, and it con- conveyed this very sweet kind of feeling very early on. Right, and you, you I remember you had mentioned this made you feel as if you were right in the room with mm-hmm. the... Um, with the artist. And uh, it's funny because simultaneously I was having uh, the opposite reaction that I'm not in a room necessarily, but in an open field. Like, this is that that quintessential campfire song. You got your Granted, kumbaya moment. Well, yeah, sure, a kumbaya moment, but without being quite so... Uh, quite so cliche about it this is this is like i'm in the middle of like a grassland or north dakota or something you know and there's a campfire going and i'm just having this really really personal moment that's that's what this this track meant to me even though there's not a lot in the way of form here but this is like the you know to use a paul mccartney reference this is like the yesterday of this album not just because it's guy and guitar but because of of the pacing which is why it's such a great pairing to the previous track which had the same thing so this is just a little more stripped down because of the stretching he really seems to do in his voice, he's, he's really utilizing a lot more of his range here than he has on previous tracks. Or maybe it's just that the track itself, being so pared down, you can really feel the range a lot more. You can feel him rising, you can feel him falling. But listening to this song, it's almost walking in on two people having that personal conversation and it's the conversation you want them to have. Like, yeah. two friends that finally are doing the sort of thing that you want them to do because they're made for each other or something like that. Something real sappy. Yeah. Something real, you know, sitcom-esque or Hallmark movie-esque. But it comes off as so earnest and so heartfelt that you, you're rooting for them. You're rooting for him to say these things to her, for it to work out in such a way that it's just emotional. Well, the lyrics but are it's very almost The lyrics are very candid. The, if you listen to the lyrics, they're very candid. Darling, don't you understand that there are no winners or medals hung from silken strands to greet you at the finish as we're dissolving into the sea. I can only take what I can carry as the council's combing through our debris for the treasures we never buried. My love, why do you run? For my hands hold no guns. I love that line. Really, the idea, really beautiful. I mean, well, because also the imagery of it is very strong for someone who's running away. Like, the idea that someone's running with such intensity and, and insanity almost. And you're not, like you're holding guns, but you're not. And you're trying to say. And that's not the imagery. The imagery is specifically, um, he's talking about someone at a starting line of a race. He's holding the gun that's going to start the race. Oh, that's right. where the imagery is coming there. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with like gun, the violent level. Hmm. It's more along that sort of a line. Um, the, the, uh, why do you run? I'm not starting the race. I'm not giving you the go to begin uh, or anything like that. Interesting. Okay, I hadn't even seen that. That's that's what I saw here. And that, the fact that it's, it, it's kind of a oblique, it's yeah. kind of out there. But Could be either. Once I saw it, it was real kismet for me. Yeah. 
Um, I love that idea. Let's see how that ties into the second verse. Darling, though you may pretend, pretend that you are selfish. You break with but the slightest bend that leaves you lost and helpless. So to whom will you place the call in the coldest night of winter as numbers change and people fall? And friends, they always splinter. Uh, this has that. This has that like classic poetical style to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just in just in the the IMs and all that. It's 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 really gorgeous, and I love him as a songwriter, and it really shines through in a track like this because this. And this goes back to what John mentioned just a second ago about how his vocals really do seem as if they're a lot more playful here. It seems as if it seems as if the melody is really really reaching out, but I think. It's really the same. I think he's pretty much the same throughout the entire record. It's everything else that changes. When everything else strips down, then his his melodies seem a lot more, you know, playful. But when you have a very when you have a track that has a lot of production value on it, then all of a sudden his his vocals really don't stand out in the same way. It seems like his vocals are more suited to this kind of setting. And speaking to what you just said about his vocals in a song that has a lot more production, that's where we go from here, which yeah. is kind of odd. Um, so the next track, track seven, is Everything's a Ceiling, which is an odd title to begin with. But anyway, this we get, uh, I want to call it an overproduced mess. I, I feel even harsh kind of saying that. But, I mean, so we get the 80s synth back. It's here again. A lot more 80s influence, which, I mean... This, uh, tr- tr- this time tr- it smacks you in the face. This is that, like, 80s prom sound, you know? Yeah. It, it's... It's a little bit of fun, a little bit of Bono. There's a lot going on here from 1985. It was a nice tonal contrast, but I'm just so sick of this. The the 80s and, you know, every band does this. The worst part is that when, after going from Hold No Guns to this, I was really starting to try to pick out his vocal work because that sort of revelation I got where his vocals sound better when very little is actually supporting it, but supporting it well. Yeah. His vocals, you're right, do sound the same. He really does seem to be doing the same highs and lows. But it gets so whited out with all the clutter going around here. Yeah. Because instead of supporting, they're being there. They're yeah. being layered on top of him. It's whitewash. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I can only harp in this particular case on the the '80s reference, which is so painfully obvious. Only because I'm just I'm just astounded. How much nostalgia you know can a society have for a decade? <laughs> yes, I miss the movies. Maybe some TV shows. Maybe, maybe some of the cars. Maybe but you're I don't know not, about the pop music. Maybe you're not getting it. Maybe the rest of the world's got it. That's why they keep doing it, and you don't understand. You really believe that? I don't know. No, you don't know. What what the hell do you know what you're talking about. Um, this is I don't know. But what's really weird about this track instrumentally is that then we get this weird transition in the middle. It becomes this kind of it evolves or devolves in this case into like this weird modern country mashup that's just it's just such an odd place to go from that 80s synth. I don't understand. And it's, it's like the lyrics don't do anything to support a change like that. It's not an artistic change. It's just an odd evolution. Especially considering there's a third element too, and that's the uh, the kind of like disco rhythm that's smacked in here. Granted, we get yeah. a lot more of this in the next track, but I heard it as early as this. This sort of like very short staccato uh, uh, guitar picking um, that has a little bit of a, a, a funk to it. And I, I heard it more in disco, so that feels kind of separate from the 80s atmosphere, which seems... feels separate from the country atmosphere. And it's in three different places. This song just seems very schizophrenic to me. I really didn't 
like it, especially comparatively to the rest of the record. That staccato specifically felt like it, that was what was throwing the wet blanket on top of everything else. That mm. was kind of dragging everything else back That's down. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's kind of appropriate, too. That's uh, well, the sad part. Yeah. And here, I mean, we keep saying he's great lyricist, great lyricist. I'm not a fan of the lyrics. I mean, they come off a little cliche for me. And the constellations move and the brightest point is full, but every telescope you see was pointed only at you. Uh, I know, it seems like it's a little bit it's a little bit too much. His very approachable manner gets a little bit too metaphorical. Even later he's a, he's a, on, yeah, it's, it's a, like, so what am I supposed to do? I'm calling out to you, but you're miles away, it's true. Digging with someone new. It's uh, like... Well, I, actually, man. I kind of like that one. But, <laughs> but no, <laughs> the first one, going back to the verse that John uh, mentioned, there's, I think, whenever you're you know, talking about stars in the sky and constellations, that matching up, it all seems too self-aggrandizing in some sense. You know, when you're a lot more grounded, there's more truth to it, and certainly when the music matches up to it, that helps, and in this case, neither are helping. So self-aggrandizing. I mean, there's a place for that, especially when talking about love. I mean, it's bigger than than you and the two people involved. Or uh, that sounds like a threesome. It's bigger than you and the other person involved. <laughs> but in this song, nothing supporting that grand view. It it but doesn't. Do you, but feel you have about to bring it. in the space analogy. I mean, that's just a little too much, you know. No, yeah, I agree. But it, but well, like the something... stars in the sky, you came to me. I mean, they're not normally. Death Cab is not normally cliche, but this is a little bit overtly cliche. Yeah, I would agree. I just, I, I don't. I don't get what I'm looking for in this song. I do get some a little bit of what I'm looking for in the next track. Good help is so hard to find. Um, what I like about this truck is it kind of truck track starts with a little strut. <laughs> I'm combining words. I'm the worst. Um, it starts with a little strut. This expands on on the the idea from the previous track Got that in quite a big way. The retro disco sound. Retro that you were talking disco, about. Ska, disco sound. But then again, it's also still a little bit '80s as well. And uh, to be frank. I kind of like it. I really do. It's it's. Got... Wait, you're not Frank. You're Steve. I'm. I am. But that's besides. But the you point. want to be Frank. Apparently, I want to be Frank. Frank just in this track. Uh, that like I'm gonna call it post disco, because okay. it still sounds very 80s for me. Like this is the the style of it. But yet it's clear that the the strut itself, you know, really really leans back to disco. It's got that style of dance danceability to it, but still in like an 80s environment. That's what this whole track is pretty much front to back i i feel almost silly breaking this up by by verse and chorus verse and chorus because as a dance track frankly it would just be taken as a unit it's the rhythm guitar i don't i it's always there it just doesn't leave it's a forefront piece where in previous tracks when you're talking about rhythm guitar or bass work it tends to take a backseat because well that's where its home usually is at least for death cab here it feels like it's supposed to be a lead element and it just doesn't it doesn't mesh too well now the song itself the other thing i want to point out without everything's a ceiling this song could not work on this album it just really would be a a real just ugly duckling around Mm. everything else because of how oddball it is it's only in retrospect that the previous song lets this song work and that's something i think is kind of telling for me at least with this song itself it it may not be the odd man out it may not be completely misplaced 
But if you needed a helper to really transition to this piece, oh, it yeah. hurts it for me. If, if this had actually followed Hold No Guns, I would have left. You know, that would have been just a little bit too much. You know, I agree with Frank. Fire to I agree with Frank, but I think that... <laughs> Call back. I, well, thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I agree. I think that it definitely needed that other song space. But I enjoy this song. I mean, it, it does suffer some of the faults of previous tracks, but that said, the strut and the groove really kept me engaged, and I just kind of flat out enjoyed it. I agree with the transition, too. The last track started to get me moving, and this was more confident, I think, Kept throughout. the momentum going. But here's, like, like here's the other thing. The energy levels of the track really aren't quite meshing up with the rest of the album forget the song itself the no yeah forget rhythm. the transitions forget yeah. this as forget an album disco? as a whole if you take yourself out into like the hour-long period that you're listening to this there's just less of a you know doesn't seem like it matches up yeah death yeah. does a dance song i'm sure that many tracks before again i do not know their discography but they have had I mean, unifying tracks but there were, dan- there were dancey tracks. On, even on Transatlanticism, there were songs that were more upbeat and danceable, for sure. I but, know that for a fact. But that energy level kind of really breaks up. And We have been having slight complaints at kind of the passive level some of these songs have been. But there's a little bit too much activity going on here. Nah, for I wouldn't really, agree with really that. Eh, that's, that's my opinion. It's not, not a matter of too much activity. It's really a matter of, of that as a dance track. Yes, this is good. It's not great. I mean, you know, as far as dance tracks we've listened to this is not like i'll be up there but this is not changing my world this is not you know that level of dance track it's it's funky it keeps me moving that's about it i don't i really don't i really can't go back to anything else here except maybe his vocals i'll let's let's just shift back to his vocals for a second because while i think the music is certainly overshadowing for me in this track i really did start to appreciate his style of, of vocals for this medium um in this case like he he says a few lines in a similar way that i pointed them out as early as the first track here uh funny that the line he's saying is actually between those lines and he kind of slides upward here you see this in the first verse you'll never have to fear the word no if you keep all your friends on the payroll, the non-disclosure pages signed, your secret's safe between those lines. And he holds that and has this little slide in there. I, I like think the it's that's that. just so that's so him. But again, it's all in his delivery here. You know, lyrics themselves speak for itself, but it's it's his delivery that helps. I almost appreciate them on two separate levels. And also, I'm on a, on a very superfluous level. I'm amused by the fact that he worked an NDA into his lyrics. I mean, I can't even think of a time anyone's ever sang about a non-disclosure agreement. So it's, it's clever play on words, and I True. appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, this song, I think, on a final note for me, is it just it kept me moving. It kept me interested and engaged. But yeah, there are far better dance songs I've heard on other albums or other memorable ones for better or worse, like some albums we reviewed that we were not kind to that are still memorable because I just didn't like it. Maybe it comes down to the cheap shot of it being the, the disco throwback, yeah. the 80, 80s disco throwback in this case, because there is a lot more detail to this track than I, I think I'm giving it credit for. Yeah. But I don't think I was... Uh, I was in the right place to accept this track yet, considering the arc of the album. Track 9 follows this. It's called El Dorado. Now, with the previous tracks kind of almost over-energized, at least in my opinion, feel to it, El Dorado does a lot to save what was going wrong. Because I think it furthered just about everything that I had previously liked about this album. It had an air of darkness that we were longing to come back to at this point. An air of of mystery and and, and, and passion. I mean, all right, we start off 
that 80s guitar on cue, but whatever. Here, it's smooth and it feels very, very unique and it, it happens against this like very airy backdrop. And then I like the break from only maybe like 30 seconds in, the guitar cuts out and a drone replaces it. And then the drums kick in really strong. Lots of movement here. There's so much motion to this track and, and uh, the vocals step in really, really strong. The melody, I have no qualms whatsoever. It's a decisive melody. Um, and also this is a case where I appreciated it more in the setting of something that was much more highly produced. This is the exception to the rule in that regard. In this case, um, I, while I do believe they sound at their greatest when they're just pure and simple, this time they sounded really, really good with this little like doubled effect that provided more of like an ethereal edge to them due to the increased reverb. Well, and that increased reverb almost made him sound like he was singing from a distance into a mic in an empty field. It kind of gave yeah. this openness that really was interesting with his vocals. I mean, giving him that kind of even tone and then putting it in that open field adds a weight to it that we didn't really hear before. It makes them like pop and yet also blend with the tone at the same time yeah. and that's something that i feel like we were always lacking one or the other in this album so far and the chorus just promotes the pure longing that he ends up going for and i tried to be kind for you oh i'm trying to be kind for you the way he's he's actually favorite, putting some favorite line in terms of melodic delivery it, on the, this album the actual inflection he's putting into it is just great it's just really like it's pure emotion. And there's nothing else on this album that I want to say hits this emotion. That really does seem, even within the kind of passive realm that we've been settled in vocally, that, that hits this longing. It's, it's very, very powerful. It's the verses, though. The verses, I loved it, but they were a little bit too short. It was, I felt like he could have done a lot more musically lyrically and vocally there. I'll I agree. wanted a lot more there. I'll agree that maybe because I have such singular moments in this track that I, I really adore, that the others are, are they pale in comparison. Well, I do I, I do think that the track as a whole is, is pretty much beating a lot of other things in this album, although perhaps for different reasons. Um, but yeah, it really comes down to the chorus for me. Oh, and I tried to be kind of kind for you and i'm trying to be kind for you you know the past tense and then suddenly the present tense as well like this is self-awareness you know, self-awareness is also not achieving it 100 yeah. i really really appreciate that then we go into um a instrumental which i thought really pushed this emotion along um then again i think that there were two instrumentals here actually two separate instruments first we have a guitar instrumental um which took just the chordal changes here, I think, took it in a slightly different direction that I maybe didn't appreciate as much as the second uh, instrumental, which was the more keyboard organ sound. Here, there was just great texture interplay throughout. It's this kind of simple beauty. Like, as a whole, the, the, the melody's not very complex. That is to say, the melody right there on the keyboard. It's very, very straightforward, but it's so beautiful. And again, everything's tied together in this track because of the motion that was provided with the drums that have been fairly stable throughout, but it's like pushing us forward every step of the way. Yeah, I, I think that this song stands out so much also because of the last two tracks that came before it. So then when we get this area of darkness, it's back to this kind of tone that we got on the earlier part same, of the record. Same but, goes for the outro as well. The the, the, the final instrumental, like in the more, more of a bridge, anything, is just absolutely gorgeous. I I love how the track ends. I love everything about this this track. And that's because it really does hit a stride 
that for me saved the album. It, it it hits a stride. It sticks with it. It's another one of those songs that you can almost say it approaches plateauing. It's it does still have its hills and valleys, but it hits a, a nice level and it stays there. And it's a comfortable level. It's a very inviting level, even though, like I said, it's a very emotional song that is very much geared towards well, not a not the most endearing of emotions, longing. It's it's still approachable. And it's still a very, very enjoyable piece. Well, what I, also I hate really that I'm going to make this comparison, but only two weeks ago we reviewed Fallout Boys, uh, American Psycho, American Beauty, and th- there was that third track, Centuries. Oh and, yeah. Yep. And it you'll remember me for centuries, yeah. and it always goes up every single time. And we referred to that as a kind of plateau. Yet we all admitted for. Uh, begrudgingly so that it's stuck in our heads. Yeah, this hits very, it. very similar peaks in this case. I is that I tried to be kind in the way he holds that. It's it's gorgeous. It really is gorgeous. Well, I, I I hate that it's the same concept, but it's far more beautiful. Well, and I also really like the imagery, plain and simple, that you're comparing a love that's unattainable to El Dorado, one of the most unattainable oh, yeah, that's cities, a, treasures. As good as it gets. So, you know, I and think the, that's and, really and the, great artistically. The outro is just that repetition of El Dorado, El Dorado. There's always that, there's, this whole track defines the concept of the attempt and the passion that goes into the attempt. Yet you never really are given a any, any hint at success. And of nope. course... El Dorado has yet to be found. Yep. Except uh, in southern Arkansas. Or in the road to El Dorado. Or that. Um, Except the- in southern Arkansas, they, they pronounce it El Dorado. <laughs> Track 10. Anjanu. Um, th- this continues the the kind of feel that we were looking for earlier in the record. And what I really like that's interesting about this, it has a very unique intro. The song starts with a repeated kind of vocal... Not on a monopoeia. What's the word I'm looking for? Metronome. Vocalization. It's a vocalization. La, 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 la. It's it's it's, la, 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 it's la, la, Ben la, la, la. Gibbard doing notes vocally over and over again to the point where it la, becomes la, la, this la, la. kind of repetitive drone that becomes a layer, an instrumentation all its own, that he eventually starts to sing over as well. This kind of radio voice kind of sound. It's an interesting way to start the track, I thought. And I've harped on it before, but in this case. His natural vocal style and vocal range works great in this radio redoubling, re-recording. It's like a little muffled, you know? It's like he's speaking through a sort of a filter. but Or a filter um, megaphone being recorded from somewhere else and then toned down and everything like that. It's just, it, it feels like mechanically recorded as opposed to a natural voice. But the contrast with his very naturally sounding voice is great. It really does give it a very unique feel on the album itself. Um, also, it should be mentioned, as far as the title goes, uh, Ingenue is a, a woman, perhaps a youthful, innocent, and unsophisticated woman. And we get that straight up here in the beginning. Ingenue, what have we done to you? Under that soft skin, I hear a ticking, the currency of being 23. It turns from gold to dust when you crest the wave of lust. So take all you can from the mouth of man. Ingenue. Framed like a cartoon, the borders clear and defined, the colors bold and bright. Ah, just to read Ben Gibbard's writing is... It's, is, it's you know. so poetic. And what I really like is the, the even the imagery of that, this kind of sexualization and this coming into your adult life as as a young woman, but but still twisting it a little bit and it's giving not, it this, this, this oddness. I want to throw out a different word besides sexualization. The beautification that's going on here. Yeah. It's not overtly sexual no 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 it's just 
painting a very lovely picture, a very classic style of picture that you'd find in you know museum uh, museum level quality stuff. It's of the reclining beauty kind of a piece, and then the song actually undergoes a very familiar to me because I've been listening to them almost nonstop for the last few months. Um, Decemberist evolution. It and does. that's the only way I can describe it. The song kind of jogs and moves in a very, very indie folk kind of way, a folky way especially. Um, it, it doesn't get ahead of itself. It just moves at its own pace, but supports the lyrics and the vocals and just kind of keeps moving with that drone behind it. It reminded me also of The Once, which we reviewed with uh, Molly when she was a guest on the podcast, because a few songs from, from The Once's album also had that kind of a drone. In and- truth, I'll ad- I would probably say this this track was less impressive to me i think i preach i appreciate the lyrics i appreciate uh the vocals i think as a whole um maybe one of the my favorite things is the guitar comping in the background mm-hmm. um but i i don't think it really was a standoutish moment on this album especially as we're kind of in the wind down here to the tail end um it's it's beautiful and it's your way and in its way and i appreciate the 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 goal here i just don't think i'm being moved in one way or another it strikes me as a very very specific message you know ingenue i don't feel like he's talking to a group of people feels very specific one person who knows who and for that i I will definitely agree on on some of that it's not a masterpiece if i'm going to keep my painting analogy going it's not a matter masterpiece but it is a quality piece it is something that is worth looking at once or twice, but not necessarily something you're going to be throwing behind glass. I enjoy it for what it is. It also, because I will, I, I want to bring up that connection again, that sort of Decemberist vibe that's to it, it doesn't quite have the same identity as Death Cab because I'm definitely leaning a little bit more towards one than the other, and it's not in Death Cab's favor. It's an oddball that way and that kind of breaks up a little bit of the identity flow that we were getting in this album oh i think it's still enough like death cab that i don't feel that i well i can see it leaning towards that other stuff i feel like it doesn't break the realm of their sound and the album i have to understand that in general death cab is pretty much defined by uh ben gibbard's vocals to me in in pretty much only that like for instance the decemberists i could say well it's both colin malloy and also the tone of the decemberists i mean you know you hear that uh, jenny conley uh, the 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 accordion in the background or the organ in the background the upright bass all of this puts together decemberist less of this occurs with death cab except for ben gibbard's unmistakable vocals and for that not to put down the rest i'm just saying it's it identity is a problem quality isn't the the fact that the vocals are fooled around with, even though I love that itself, it does lose a little bit of its identity there as well for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, I was not, I I was not, I did not dislike this track. In my, I felt it could have probably done a little more though. I saved my disappointment for the final track. <laughs> well, this is a very specific disappointment, and this goes back to something we so, harp on a lot. So my problem with the final track, Binary C, is this. It's track eleven. It's forget the fact that it starts with a piano and it feels that very piano in a room kind of thing. Okay. Let's put that behind us because that's been done well and we've liked that as final tracks, which we've gotten a few times this year, actually. Appreciate it, maybe. My big problem is that not even for just the Death Cab song, but for a pop song in general, it was pretty predictable as a conclusion. You know, it had swells, it was soft, it was sensitive. Like, they can do that. They've done that before, and that's 
fine, but I felt like do something, go out with a bang, or at least a loud groan. My, and that's all true. That's exa- I agree. But here, my biggest issue is the meter of the vocals. Mm. Oh, God. The, go back to third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, whenever you started like doing Shakespeare, and just the way people were taught to say his... Uh, but I mentioned poetry. earlier the the IMs, the whole like unstressed stress. Uh, da, 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 Here it's da, just da. so <laughs> overused. It's that kid who just learned you have to you know emphasize every other syllable, so you're getting shall I compare the two? It's it's <laughs> artificial inflection, and here we're getting very artificial inflection. Well, oh, could, Atlas could not understand. It's so prevalent. The piano's even backing it up, going ba bump ba bump along with them. It's, it's more like I'm not gonna. It's not. It's unconscious inflection. Yeah, but it's it's Matt wants to say something. Yes, um, it's called binary C. He's acting very robotic. I'm just gonna throw that out there and do John's job for a change. Yeah, oh, but I don't want that. Zero one, zero one, zero one, zero Well, then why the is right he talking idea. about emotional things? Oh, come, my love, and swim with me out in this vast binary sea. Zeros and ones patterns appear. Yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> that's great. You just stumbled across that. No, 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 no. But but here's well, the thing. You. Here's the thing. Uh, wait, where is computer stuff coming in in this no in this album? I mean, where I, is this? Artistically, I would just wanted to throw that out there, but oh, realistically, it doesn't save the track. All right, let's go out with a. If we're gonna leave on a good note, let's leave it with his with his lyrics in in a in a in whole sense. You need to look at this in a in a larger sense. Oh, Atlas could not understand the world was so much smaller than the one he used to hold before, but the weight it brought him to the floor. As you watched him struggle to his feet, you took photos capturing his defeat and messaged them to all all your friends. And we all laughed at his expense. Oh, come, my love, and swim with me out in this vast binary sea. Zeros and ones, patterns appear. They'll prove to all that we were here. For if there is no document, we cannot build our monument. So look into the lens, and I'll make sure this moment never dies. Oh, Atlas could not stay engaged was more distracted every day. You slowly fell into disarray, just trying to think of something to say. For if there is no document, there cannot be a monument. So lean in close or lend an ear. There's something brilliant bound to happen here. That is gorgeous. Yeah, is because because I read it all. I mean, this, this is the kind of track that, like, when you see it all of a sudden, there's, like, the patterns that we're merging is actually the patterns that he's observing in in life itself, and all of a sudden it does become quite encapsulating. Um, I really do appreciate that, which means that frankly, my problem is the thing that that Matt brushed under the rug, and that really is the shoehorned piano outro. I, yeah. It's beautiful. It's great. It's just you know, I you, you know, it go out with a bang. Yeah, or that, that's or, it. Or, or that loud really groan. is Yeah, I don't Not know. Not lyrics. Yeah, well, because lyrics are great. They're always great. Yeah, he's a great, he's a poetic lyric writer, and even on the worst of songs that weren't that bad, it was still beautiful lyrics, so there's that. Yeah, and I love the the, the ballad sense in which he captures this, you know, he, yeah. he, he he attributes a story to it, whereas many other things it sounds personal as if it's just him. Here it really feels like that kind of, like, you know, third person a little bit. And honestly, this song performed live would probably be wonderful. Like it would just it would it would be beautiful. I would love to see that. And I think also that's kind of what this is created for because as a live performance it would probably sound beautiful. Yeah. Uh And now we go to the wrap-ups. Go for it. Oh. In my pick I go last. You know the rules. John shaking his head no. 
I'm letting the audience know because I haven't talked about someone doing something physical on the podcast in a while. Yeah, you're due. I am due. I haven't been incredulous in a really long time, so just wait for that one. Uh, really? <laughs> Shut up, John. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm going first. This this album was something that, frankly, I did enjoy front to back, but I was very rarely like blown away. Uh, there were moments, and we cited all of those moments. Um, one came actually fairly late, uh, and I think it turns out to be one of my favorite moments, and that was the one in, in El Dorado. Uh, this is kind of what I look for. Uh, the more, all, all tools just coming together to, you know, provide that one emotion. You know, as, as simple as it may be, and as, as cliched as it may be, the, the use of El Dorado as a metaphor and the way the music was brought together to really deliver that kind of like searching for something bigger than you, something you're striving for, I really like that as, you know, just the strength of the human spirit to seek something. It's, it's brilliant, and the music matched this up perfectly, you know? I felt like breaking this apart, and frankly, I didn't really feel like breaking most of this album apart, you know? Um, the chord changes here were just gorgeous. The, the, the tones themselves were gorgeous. The, the, the voice leading itself was gorgeous. Um, but earlier, I, you know, while I enjoyed it, I was just kind of gliding along, which I do get the sense that's what you're supposed to do with the Death Cab album. It's just, you know, having not dived into his earlier work, and I think that's, that's a little besides the point, because we, we do look at albums, um, in the moment, we look at albums for every album they release is, is important. You know, you're not always supposed to constantly compare that against the discography. Nevertheless, it does affect your rating a little bit. And I think that was uh, perhaps a, a fault on my part. That said, Matt has the experience. And I think mostly we've been pretty much all on the same page. If pop is the direction they've been going in, then I really do see it here. And I see that as a bit of a problem. Each and every moment they stepped out of that. And that happened as early as the instrumental in the first track. It was strong. That said, still, there were variations within the pop style here. Like, early on, first track, even the pop stuff, even the verse and chorus stuff kind of got stuck in my head. That wasn't so true later on. All of a sudden, then, it's kind of just back to gliding along, very unoffensive. There's nothing bad here, and the lyrics, uh, while I can't say more than make up for it, are a really, really great part of this album and should count this up considerably. I've always said he's a great lyricist, um, even as early as the stuff that I have heard on Transatlanticism. Um, and even the big singles they used to back, do back in the day, like Sounds of Settling and everything. Alright, that's unifying in its way. Just not so much of that here. This is a more reserved album, I think, while still staying with pop. Which frankly put me toward the opposite side. The other moments that I enjoyed from this are the ones that really don't step out, but step back. And th that goes toward the stripped-down tracks, which, which really, really culminated in uh, track six, Hold No Guns. And the, the arcs within this were also really, really good. The transition into this track was, was excellent. It's all about... In their case, I think, I think they're, they, they excel at, at arc and the moment-to-moment -moment, um, developments. I think that's probably one of the best things about this, alongside the lyrics, and then of course setting as a whole. But in terms of really like swaying me in a bold sense, I kind of have to go back to that big argument we hit, we had, which was uh, the one surrounding whether pop is really the medium for this. You know, it, what I was arguing with John based on the um, the department store feel and how we kind of felt in opposite ends 
when it came to to Little Wanderer, that's the kind of track that I think define is really going to separate where people stand on this album, and that is just not quite enough to put it in a, in four territory for me. It's it's definitely in in three territory. There's no way it's down in the twos. There's just too much too much emotion here. Too much good stuff within it. I'm going to give this a solid three point seven. Nah, I think this is a three point eight. Three point eight. Just a, a little bit shy, but there are things that could have bound this album together a little bit more from, from beginning to end. The innards themselves, though, are still stellar. I am not as on board as Steve is with the lyrics. Uh, some of it is really gorgeous. I think there's a little bit more there to have issues with. On top of that, there are some songs here that I really just... I didn't even mention his vocals, but I think that still fits. <laughs> <laughs> There's parts here that are just forgettable, and that's the worst compliment I can give it. I don't know. Unoffensive is is probably a more appropriate term. It's just not really making me feel anything. It's possibly a combination of the vocals, which is probably why I haven't been on board with a lot of Death Cab for Cuties music. Some of it I love. Some of it I just don't really enjoy it not because it's unenjoyable but because there's no way for me to really make a connection to and this that's evident here even the part i really like the songs i really like like hold no guns it's just not really impacting as a whole you've haunted me all my life not really impacting me as a whole there are parts i like there's verses there's choruses there's little snippets here but there's a lot of things that I want this album to do. There's a lot of places I actually want it to go that I just, they don't want to go for. And... You have a disagreement with them. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Take it up with Ben. It, it boils down to this. I kind of, and I know other people actually do agree with me on this front. They don't really make indie, pure indie anymore, or pure art uh, alt anymore, or even pure pop whatever anymore. I don't like terming them as pop. As pop anything. Because pop implies certain connotations going on here. Instead, I came up with something else. Consumer indie. It's the sort of indie that anybody can consume because it's not really one way or the other too far into that realm. Suburban was a perfect term that Matt brought up before. Suburban indie is another way of putting it. It's meant for that little niche of group that, well, it's supposed to cater to, but it's approachable and it's unoffensive to everybody else. For that, 325. It's got some really good parts, but there's really, there's so much here that I'm just not connecting with on music, emotional, or lyrical level. I mean, I think you might be downplaying how, how great uh, track track five was you know going into track six um i i may have downplayed track that five as well. track six track nine and track two those four tracks are really standoutish for me but i wouldn't count any of them as as past four star well, because they all have their flaws as you know I'm a, I'm a moment guy and that's why i think track five maybe i didn't mention that in my final wrap-up because it was really really a great track as a whole and one of the most one of the best tracks on this album as a whole. It still lacked the moments that I think I found in some other tracks. Eh. All right, well, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
for me, the thing about this Death Cab album is, while I'm a fan of all of their work, the only album I've listened to as intently as this one is, of course, Transatlanticism, which I have memorized from start to finish. Uh-huh. Just a huge fan of that record. I think that The Sound of Settling is one of those songs that it really did kind of uh, expand the indie genre at the time especially you know he was able to make an impact without being loud and in your face and the song still was impactful and moved you that that brings me to the mind like this album does give me some nostalgia for the time period and I don't think it's like you know so off base from those early from those early like transatlanticism but that sometimes matters especially over the course of a decade this is why we really don't do old albums because I think you know I have transatlanticism for that yeah. Um, perhaps the fact that they are similar in a sense is maybe a little bit of a detractor for me. Could be, but frankly, I got a lot of emotion from this album. I mean, I wasn't awash with it all the time because that's the style of this music. I mean, that's typically his bread and butter. But there were enough songs to get me emotional and then enough songs to move me that I felt a connection with this record. I mean, frankly, up front and very simply, I liked it. I really enjoyed this record. Um, but, you know, there were flaws. We can't ignore them. I mean, again, 7 and 8 were just tracks that were not great. Um, they were okay. But I really love No Room and Frame. You know, I really like, I really, really like the single Black Sun. I like You've ha- Haunted Me All My Life. Like, 90% of this record I was I enjoyed for one reason or another. Even if... All of the moments weren't hitting me moment after moment, but this is Death Cab for Cutie. There is some gliding expected and even necessary. If you're listening to this band, it's in their style. Mm. And I move with it. To say that it doesn't push it through the pantheon of music, well, that's fine and understandable, but I definitely connected with this record. That said, however, it still was awash with flaws to against the pantheon of music, and I can't ignore those. Speaking to the just uh, quick uh, wash with flaws, like, I think actually it's more to the point of what you had just said prior to that, which is that I think it does almost every one of those, like, three things, you know, really, really great at one moment. Yeah. It does the great pop song at one moment, does the great introverted track, the great slow build, and then the great folk track, and even, hell, the great, you know, piano outro. But then there's all the in-between, and there's a lot of in-between on this album, and that's where we really mostly found fault, and we start splitting off in different directions, and it's like, well, I like this, but I don't like that, and I like this, but I don't like that, and that's the filler that you're talking about. I, I wouldn't quite so go so far as to say that's expected. You never want to say that filler is expected. Well, but I'm not saying But that it's the... definitely unoffensive. Right. And that's, I'll but, leave it at that. But... Death Cab's always been unoffensive, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, it's accessibility. Nah. That's what we're talking about, and this album is very accessible. Um, I refuse to put it down towards the average stuff because we had below average stuff very recently that was almost painful to listen to, and this was not painful. In fact, like I said, I quite enjoyed it. And if I can enjoy a record, that gives it bonus points. 375 is clearly above that. I mean, it's right. above average, and it's way above what you're describing. Right. Um, but for me, I got a little, I think, even more emotionally invested in these songs than both of you did. And I don't think that's any fault of you guys. I think it's just, I found what I was looking for. And as a fan, there's always that little bit of an extra connection. So, for me, this is a 3.9. It's not quite a 4. Oh, it's a hair above. It, it's close to a 4. But I think the reason it falls short is because... You're right. There are still some moments where it feels like it's phoned in, and I expect better from Ben Gibbard. I do. 
Um, but I, you know, I really liked it. And I think that I will always continue to enjoy Death Cab, even if I'm not a super fan. And this record is definitely an album I would go back to. So 3.9. They're a good band to have in your library. Yeah, I'd agree. So I want to take a moment to just talk a little bit about uh, the concept of, like, for instance, how we how we approach to this album over the course of the week. You know, everyone knows we'll, we spend a, a week with an album, but it always varies on the medium. Obviously, most people would admit that the optimal way to listen to an album is, is you know, on your headphones, because then you get all the detail, and also preferably to listen to it in fair moderate solitary-ness uh, because that way, you know, it's just you and the music. You don't have a lot of interruptions and you just sort of go through it on your own terms and it lets you be very, very attentive to the details. But I do think there's there's a, a benefit to listening in other environments, for instance, other locations and sometimes doing it the way people have always heard music for the last thousands of years and that is kind of, well, in the open. Granted, you can't uh, you can't listen to the 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 album, you know, in a concert setting necessarily over the course. We just don't have that opportunity. We don't have that much money. And there's not concerts everywhere. That's right. But you probably should listen to it at least aloud once in a while. It does help sometimes to not have it going directly into your eardrum, but fill the space of a room. And that brings into question acoustics. It's one of those things that audiophiles are really, really, uh, really snarky about because, you know, they'll just flat out say, well, I'm not listening to music if it's not in that particular setting. And while I think it's unfair to be that cruel, because then perhaps at a certain point you might say, is the artist doing something wrong? I do think there is some truth to it. For example, and I, this is my little segue in this instance, I had only started, and this was just as a bare preview, I had no intention of continuing to listen in this manner, but when I started listening to this album this week, I just thought I'd preview it based on the first track while on my tablet and I didn't have the headphones plugged in. I just pressed play and I listened it through tablet speakers. And for anyone that has done this while not perhaps watching TV or watching a TV show or, or movie on their tablet, if you're just listening to music, so much detail is lost. Like you get no bass practically unless your ear is right up against uh, the tablet speakers, if anything. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrific. When you listen to it in the headphones, sometimes you get a completely different experience, as I had. All of a sudden, the sound was so much crisper, and then I started jotting down all the, the benefits of, of, uh, of the perks on this album of production value, of which I wouldn't have otherwise noticed. Now, one of the normal ways I personally listen to is in the car. I do a lot of driving. I'm actually over an hour away from where we do the recording for the podcast, so I always have time on my hands when I'm moving around. Uh, but I always try to get at least one listen to with my nice over-the-ear skull candies that I just bought that have a nice little bass feature where you go click and it goes and gets really heavy bass, and I've been yeah, boring these guys with it for weeks now. Who hopped on the skull candy train? They Ugh. were they were inexpensive. They were great quality, and they were not four hundred dollars. They were definitely not what Skull Candies were like like five years ago. I know it's pretty good, but the car is one of my favorite settings to listen to because, well, I love my bass, and the first time I'm not going to be paying a huge amount of attention to the music, or at least in my car setting, I'm not paying a huge amount of attention. I'm driving after all. I can't you know just completely focus on it. But one thing I love to do is to turn the bass up a little bit too high and get those parts that rattle the windows, that rattle the, the mirrors. And you just get that brr, brr, brr going throughout the car as you're driving along. That's where I really start paying attention. I'm like, oh, okay, 
Well, that's this is the, that part of that techno song that I'm going to love when I get it in my headphones. The opposite extreme, and certainly today's album would not have been a good example of that. No, no. I not really, that much bass. I, frankly, I went treble all the way up just to make sure that I heard everything right. It was a little bit more difficult that way. Um, but it's, it's something I like to do because it, it gives me the opportunity to pay close enough attention to find highlight points I know I'm going to be going back to when I do that more in-depth kind of a look. Right. For me, I have two environments that are, are almost constant in my life. Um, now that I live in Brooklyn instead of Staten Island in New York, um, I take the train a lot more. So the first environment is on the train in my headphones. I commute a lot to and from work. I work in Manhattan and I live in Brooklyn, so it's about a 40-minute commute. Perfect amount of time for most of the albums that we do. Not all, but most. So um, with this album, I was listening to it on the train, and it gives you this kind of solitary feeling on the train, like surrounded by people but feeling alone. Um, and of course, through my headphones, I have over-the-ear covering headphones, so they keep all the sound in, keep all of the outside sound out, but all of the music sound in. And so you can hear a lot of the detail, and I'm able to focus on it. But also, because I'm commuting for a day job, there are mornings where I'm not 100% awake or paying attention. Mm -hmm. So you can miss some of the details. Um, the other environment that's very important and integral, actually, to a lot of my music and podcast listening is at work. Um, about 60% of my job is actually intense stuff that I need to concentrate on, that I need to focus on projects and individual stuff. Our department's constantly growing and changing, and it's a pain in the ass, but it keeps me busy. And then the other about 40% or so is sort of mindless work. It's never really completely mindless, but it's mindless enough that... I can just sit, put in my earbuds, and work and listen. So I listen to the albums there. And the great thing about that is I find that when I'm not focused on music, I can catch stuff that I don't catch when I'm focused. Because sometimes the background music, certain things stand out that wouldn't stand out if you were actively listening. Which is why I think active and passive listens of most albums are very important for, for me at least. Mm. Because you get different, it's perspective. You get a different perspective by listening to it differently. We've touched on that before, how you listen to music. I think getting those two different perspectives, the active listen on the train when I'm just listening to music and doing nothing else most of the time when I'm not playing my 3DS, or in at work where it's more passive because I'm concentrating on the task I'm working on on my computer, but I also have Spotify going. I agree. Um, but then again, it also depends on the kind of listener you are like the sure. two perspectives are important some people and I, I might lean toward this it's very hard for me to even listen or or, or take any amount of, of of absorbing information in if i'm doing it passively normally that's that's just not going to work i might as well not listen to the album or i'll just get a general sense of the sound that i'm going to you know be hearing but like that's so just much a preview that's all it is it's really just at that level the vast majority of my listening is really done just at home at the computer, you know, I would even use my um, my computer if I didn't have my tablet on me for that moment. I mean, I would prefer the computer, that is to say. The computer has, for instance, a much better equalizer uh, capabilities than a tablet, whatever. Although some modern tablets are getting better uh, better drivers than, um, than previous tablets. But still, they're not quite at that point yet. The best you're going to get is on the computer itself. The other environment is really more like John, in the car. And I, I actually defend that as being a lot more pivotal than John makes it out to be, especially considering driving is kind of a back seat thing. I mean, 
no pun intended, driving is really just, you turn your mind off to it, almost like Matt just mentioned with the mindless work. That's kind of what driving is. Sure, you're supposed to be atten paying attention to the road, but especially if you're like on the highway, a lot of driving is just, you know, if you're an experienced driver, you go along with it, and the music can kind of wash over you in a very deep sense. And for me, considering the routes I take back and forth, both from work and from where I live and where we do the recording, it's... I've done it so often at this point, it's almost mindless. It is, yeah. Which allows yeah. me to do something I really, really enjoy doing when listening to music, and that's dipping in and out, to ignore parts, especially for songs that I love. You could just kind of gloss over, gloss over, gloss over, and then when that guitar riff comes in or that one line you thoroughly love, I, I'm right there, right back, at attention, going, and I, whatever singing along with it or making little hand gestures as my knee steers the car back and forth across the highway and death-defying feats of amazing and evil Knievel type stuff. But anyway, back on topic, it going in and out and in and out of the music itself uh, lets me find little bits that I thoroughly love and it gives me something to hone in on, but it also allows me to make better comparisons I think, to music that I'm not familiar with. Because since I know what I like, just by having almost a zen-like moment to it, I can pick out the things I know I like in new music. I can find that, oh, that's that sort of guitar riff I'm familiar with. I recognize it right away, I hone in on it right away, and I enjoy it right away. Speaking well, of the driving thing, though, I also do like driving to mute. And listening to music, obviously. I did a lot of driving before I lived in Brooklyn. And I still do plenty of driving on the weekends when I, now that I do live in Brooklyn. My favorite thing, though, I got to do this past Saturday. It's the first time in weeks, way late into the spring, we got gorgeous windows-down weather. My favorite way to listen to music is on the highway, windows-down, way too loud. Not to the <laughs> point of distortion, but loud enough that the entire car... And the small bubble around your car fills with the sound of the music you're listening to. Okay, that is the thing I was actually going to bring up. Because speaking with with driving, that's pretty much the way I li only listen to music when I'm driving. Um, a lot of times I just go out and take drives. Sometimes I don't like really have a place to go. I just per do this specifically for the purposes of, of listening to music and getting it in that real-time setting where it's not just going directly in your ears, but it gets to reverberate. And sure, when you uh, let the, the windows down as well, then you kind of get the some additional air into the mix. But there's sort of a positive and a negative here. One is not just the fact that it washes over you in, 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 in a deeper sense, but the fact that it it really is filling the space of the car and the air around. That's great. You get that effect to make you feel as much as if you're right there with the band. Um, I think sometimes in 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 a way that that really competes with the headphone listen because the headphone listen is almost too personal. It eliminates something very very important to the mix, and that is well. A lot of musicians play live. Do you want to ruin yourself, necessarily? Um, I think a lot of people who listen on headphones only will definitely ruin themselves. The case in point, the people who go see live concerts, and they're like, it's not the way it was on studio. Part of that has to be... Uh, part of that is because of how they, they play it differently. A lot of bands like to kind of keep it fresh, but it's also just the setting in which you're hearing it. You know, lots of venues vary significantly. But then that also brings me to the negative aspect, and that goes back to what you were saying, John. You were talking about 
uh, sort of how you're moving along with the music. You know, it almost becomes a physical manifestation, especially just because you're in the car, you're driving. So it's only natural that you're, I mean, you're going 60 miles an hour. How great to fuse that with, you know, a great solo or, or whatever, you know, however you get your kicks. A lot of times there's so much physical manifestation in the car. But sometimes that's also a little bit of a problem because then you almost start enjoying it more than you would if you were in a setting where you couldn't do that same thing. A car is almost like like an enhancer. It's like caffeine for the music. I had this experience uh, back in episode 130 when we listened to Guster Evermotion. I enjoyed that album far more when I listened in the car and when I got back to headphones, I felt rather underwhelmed. And that kind of shone through when we did our discussion on it. Uh, and we all kind of came to the same conclusion on that album. But my first experience with it was far more positive, perhaps deceivingly so, and that was all because of the car. Well, it, when you're doing it in a car, um, especially if you're like me, and, and I guess I'll go back to my zen moments of bouncing in and out of a, of a song, you're associating a audio stimulus with a visual stimulus, with physical stimulus of actually feeling the inertia bouncing you back and forth, the tilt of the car as you're making turns. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the mental ability of being able to change your speed, which is pretty damn powerful when you think about it. You get to make yourself go faster, to go slower, to sort of marry itself to the parts of the songs as they come along. That's why I love driving fast to techno. And Why then, I love driving fast to some classical music as well. Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely have that that side of me as well. But uh, speaking of what you said about um, about like during certain moments and going changing your speed accordingly, that also changes the engine noise. And there are some uh, lines of cars, especially like the high end sports cars. If you can get the 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 um the, the tool lower, yeah. put in in just about any car if you want, if you pay for the extra feature, but the you know, the ability to change the volume as you put your foot to the pedal. I once drove a Camaro, uh, like an early 90s Camaro that had this this little feature. It was amazing. I mean, because you always have that little, uh, it's not like it's that serious. Think about it. Of course, all right, you go a little bit faster, the engine's a little bit louder. Maybe it drowns out the music barely, so you compensate by just turning the volume up a little bit. But just the fact that you don't have to do that, that's pretty cool. You get the, it's it's instantaneous. You put your foot in the pedal, on the on the pedal and all of a sudden the music washes over you louder it's listening to your movements rather than it being the other way around but that's like a stimulant to the existing caffeine that is that is car driving well you it's should, a little bit fake you should try a 1968 camaro and try to listen to music when you're going down a quarter mile or something like that it's damn near impossible it's still a Camaro. This is not the time for, yeah, no, for no, being. Yeah, no, no. This isn't car. Though it should, yeah. it should be. Just, it should be Mustangs. You you got that part wrong. Porsches, but we're not going to get into it. Yes, I was Porsche? wrong. Apparently Seriously, wrong. the old Porsches when they made good cars. You should still always go with Ford, Chevy, or GM. No. Yeah. Anyway. No. Yeah. Anyway. Or even Pontiac. I love my. The, the, it helped the, that I was in Pennsylvania. The the point though, obviously, is that you can be influenced by the environment around you. I mean, also, I've gone camping, and nothing's more epic than playing Death Clock or any insert any heavy metal while in, playing with fire. While playing with fire in the dark, roasting marshmallows. It just adds an epic to that outdoors darkness. We're burning wood. We're burning things. Forget marshmallows. You can have your marshmallows. I like fire. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you bring up that environment. Uh, as well, because that kind of pertains to today's album. I mean, in a sense, like I would, f 
I actually imagine this album being really, really good around a campfire. Sure. It would provide the oh, it would just an ambiance. You know, yeah, it's 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 that kind of work. Which, frankly, if you heard it in that setting first, perhaps you influence. think it would influence your 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 feeling on this album. But you know, on a subway where you listen to a lot of other music, you know, simultaneously, it falls as a drop in the bucket, much like many others. You know, but if it's attached to pivotal moments in your life, and forget if that goes with pivotal settings, that can really, really change your opinion. It's just something to consider, especially to anybody who might have had a, a differing experience with this album, different experience with Death Cab as a whole, you know, whereas I might not have had those instances. If, if, if that's your shtick, then perhaps Death Clog. Death, now you got me saying death clock. <laughs> death cab will wash over you that way. Yeah, I think it's definitely, though, important as a person who listens to music more than just as background noise. If you're, well, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you listen to music more as background no- than background noise. But if you're listening to music, yeah. change up the environment once in a while. Don't always listen in the same place. Even the slightest change can influence a positive outlook on how you listen to music. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's like a suggestion, like from a friend, you know, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. You show someone something, let's say that's in a car where you can't like, you know, really enhance the volume in the same way or it's over like conversation volume, which would be really, you know, impolite. Then tell them, you know, look, listen to this on your own terms in your own way. Then perhaps you'll see it in a different light. And and find a good room with great acoustics to just turn into the, your listening area. I love that. Yeah, better yet, find an audiophile and have them build a special room for you. There you go. And better yet, inherit some sort of great distant relative's actual audio production plant record label type of a thing. And just have musicians make music for you. Better yet, take over Alice Tilly Hall or Carnegie Hall by by military force if necessary, and just use it for you know your own personal as your playground. Or even even better yet, just own Apple. Escalation. Yeah, beat that man. Beat that. No, so, so, I, I'm not an Apple guy. <laughs> I don't need to. So Steve, do you have our uh, spam mail for this week? Oh, I do have a spam mail. Um. I want to give a quick uh, shout out while Steve pulls up our spam mail to Ill Spoken. Um, he is a MC and DJ that I met at the 24 Hour Musicals. He DJed there the after party. Uh, my friend Tito, who's a part of the 24 Hour Company and um, Anchor Watch, and is um, DJing my wedding, actually, made the introduction. Ill Spoken, we will hope to have on one of the two podcasts at some point in the near future before the end of the year at least. Um, he was a really cool guy and his music is fantastic, so definitely go check him out. What up, Ill Spoken? <laughs> Spam! 119-850-297-370 A. Person essentially lend a hand to make significantly articles I may state. That will be the extremely initial time I frequented your website page and up to now? Question mark. I am amazed with the research you created to create this specific published incredible fantastic activity. 952110 by um, WHR5. You see, what bothers me is that those number combinations are not actually in hexadecimal. You know what bothers me? That you actually give a crap. Well, no, because, I mean, like, web keys and things like that are hexadecimal nowadays. I mean, it's an actual thing. A computer does not use base 10. A computer uses base 2 or some extrapolation of base 2. Usually base 16, base 32, what have you. It's important. I don't think this is a real robot. 
So next week, we're doing uh, Nocturne by Wild Nothing, and this is brought to us by next week's special guest, Devin Jackson Mullen of Anxious Kids Make Good People. That is the, the name under which he writes, although he's just a solo guy. Um, guy I knew from college way, way back. He went to uh, SUNY New Paltz, as I did, and he started developing his art. He was already a uh, self self-released at the time even though it was just you know through Bandcamp, but that's how you get started um he's the kind of like solo uh singer songwriter guy with guitar sometimes he goes electric sometimes he goes acoustic and he has a very interesting post-production style and he does do this in a live setting usually in like you know coffee shops here and there and um it seems he's been developing his art quite a bit so we're actually going to feature him next week uh, he has recently released uh, his latest EP called Radio Fireflies, and it is as yet coverless. Has no cover. So that's how fresh it is for uh, interested listeners. But you can also go back and listen to his other featured uh, albums, Scraps and Nation of Conformists. I think he has more than that, but um, that's the most release that is up there. Released about two years ago, back in uh, May 2013. So we look forward to having you, Devin Jackson Mullen. This is also a milestone because it's the first guest I have not brought or found. No, no, Tony Conalato. Okay, well, sort of. He we brought him on because he was. Yeah, but joining... I found him to be a part oh, wow. of Crash Chords, and then thus, you know, fine. The second to yeah. my fifty or more. Yeah, yeah. You want to bet on that number, Matt? <laughs> we're finding that a little offensive. So, um, hey, how many of you brought? <laughs> oh, Steve, Steve, low blow. Steve, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Me and Matt are finding that really offensive. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't find it that offensive. I agree, because we're tree, you just lean to the other side, it's great. Yeah, it's fine. Um, on that note and that bombshell, we'll see you guys next week. Remember, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.